For 30 years, Python was overseen by Guido von Rossum since he created and released it back in 1990. When he retired in 2018, he left the creation of the new governing body up to the core developers. After a few stressful months, the concept of a steering council became the way forward. On this episode, I welcome on the outgoing steering council to give us a look back on how this past year has gone. We have Barry Warsaw, Kara Willing, Brett Cannon, Pablo Galindo, and Thomas Waters on the show. They're going to give us a rundown on the important decisions of 2021 for the steering council. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 350, recorded December 14th, 2021. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy and keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. This episode is brought to you by Research Affiliates and Signal Wire. Please check out what they're offering during their segments. It really helps support the show. Hey everyone, I just want to give a quick shout out to one of the videos I made in my Python Shorts series since the last time we've spoken. I released one called, Do You Even Need Loops in Python? If that sounds interesting, really it's about list comprehensions, isn't it? Check it out. I'll put the link in the show notes. All right, let's talk to the council. Barry, Thomas, Carol, Brett, and Pablo, welcome all of you to Talk Python to me. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Hey, thanks. It's so good to have you on the show. Some of you brand new, some of you familiar faces, but nice to have you all together. You're all on the Python steering council. It takes a lot of people to replace Guido. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right. Not even replace, just parody. Just, uh, yeah, exactly. There you go. Fantastic. Well, I'm really looking forward to talking to you all about it. Spread, uh, shine a little bit of a light on what the steering council does, what you don't do, what your challenges are, and, and the role and so on. But before we do, maybe we can just go around the video version here and have you all introduce yourselves, you know, start at the, at 12 o'clock, Barry, you've been on the show before with Paul Everett talking about Python 1980, was it 94? Yeah. 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 Pi, yeah. yeah PyCon nine, the, the workshop in at NIST in 1994. Yeah. That was the first time I got a chance to meet Guido. Right yeah. on. Yeah. So uh quick background though, for people who didn't listen to that episode. Yeah. So I've been working in Python since 94. Been on the uh, steering council since the uh, initial term, I guess. I currently work for LinkedIn, and mm -hmm. uh, I guess that's, that's all I really need to say. <laughs> yeah, what kind of stuff are you doing at LinkedIn? I do work with the Python team over over at LinkedIn. Currently, I'm working on an interesting project that's trying to improve the access to technical documentation to our developers, which is a kind of a fun project at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet it is. That sounds awesome. So, yeah. Cool. Thomas, welcome. Thank you. I'm from Amsterdam in the Netherlands. I worked on Python since I think 2000. I became a core developer in 2001. So I've been around for quite a while. Ned Batchelder, who wrote coverage, likes to call me the most famous Python person you've never heard of because <laughs> of the things that I that I implemented in Python that everyone uses that nobody realizes I implemented, but I'm happy being somewhat anonymous. I work at Google on Python itself, on how we deploy Python internally, and I have a lot of fun with very complex technical solutions that gross Pablo out. So 
And I'm also on the board of directors of the Python Software Foundation, which is a little bit of different work than the Python Steering Council. And right now I'm also stepping in for Eva, who left us, decided to move on yeah. last week. So I'm currently the interim general manager while we're looking for the new executive director. Uh, so you have basically four jobs. You're a busy person. Yes. My dad made a lot of fun of me last week when I told him this. Uh, he he has two full-time jobs, and he said I do more work than he does. <laughs> Sounds like you're busy. Being from Amsterdam, are you happy the F1 championship is now? I, do you pay I heard to this? fireworks yesterday, but I wasn't actually paying attention because I haven't watched the Formula One for many, many years. Yeah, right on. Uh, well, it's another thing to celebrate over there. Carol, welcome. Thanks, Michael. It's always a pleasure to see you. Yes, you as well. Happy to have you here. Much better circumstances. I think the last time I was on, Brett and I were here right after Guido had resigned. Yeah, to basically explain, what was that, to discuss the the possibilities that were being considered for what has now become the Steering Council? Absolutely. So Mm. we're in a great place now, I think. I've been at the Steering Council since the start, and... This was my last term right now. I'm not running for re-election. I feel really strongly, much like I did with the Python Software Foundation, that turnover is good. Uh And so I am right now in the midst of working as a VP of learning for a startup called Notable. And based on the work that I've done in the Jupyter ecosystem and with open science, and so we're creating a collaborative data platform, which helps everyone and teams work well together. That sounds really fun. Awesome. So you don't have any worry about re-election. You can just vote however you want. (laughs) You're unencumbered. I'm unencumbered and it's a great slate of people. So I'm really, really pleased at how things have evolved over time. And um, obviously these fine folks would be wonderful to be re-elected, but there's also a great group of folks on the slate as well. So I think we're in good shape. Yeah. Fantastic. Brett, welcome back. Thank you very much. Background. So I'm calling from Vancouver on the uh, unceded traditional lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Sailor-Tooth First Nations. Uh, very upfront on that. I have been on the steering council since it started. And as for a day job, I'm constantly trying to convince Michael to try out VS Code for Python as the <laughs> soft, as the the, the, the default way for the <laughs> Python extension of VS yeah, Code. Yeah, yeah, I know. Good work. I mean. I've not seen a tool take off with such broad support. You know, I always ask the question at the end of the show, like, what do you, what do you use to write Python these days? And nothing has a second derivative as high as VS Code. Like the rate of acceleration uh, or adoption is really quite something. So you should be proud of that. It's awesome. Oh, yes. I'm very proud of the team. They've done a great job. Yeah. And you also now live on an island. Right? Didn't those storms like separate all the roads from the rest of Canada? Yeah. You guys doing all right? Yeah, I'm fine. For those of you who don't know, we had a river of storms, literally, that came through the greater Metro Vancouver area and flooded out every single road in the greater area such that there was literally no land link to the rest of Canada through Canadian land. You either had to fly out or you had to go down through the States, which also was flooded out near us on the Pacific Northwest. So. It's a thing. No rail lines either. The port's completely backed up. And wow. we're like the third largest in North America here in Vancouver. So like I went to the grocery store yesterday. Our, the shelves are pretty bare due to just logistical wow. issues. It's, I mean, I'm in Vancouver. I'm fine. It was mainly out. The poor folks in the Fraser Valley 
completely flooded out. Like we have no clue what it's going to do. And like half of all the dairy and all the chickens for the province come through there. There's been a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of animals that drowned. It's really bad. We'll get through it. Unfortunately. I'm glad you're, you're okay. That was quite the, quite the thing. Yeah. And Pablo. Hopefully on a higher note. Hello. Yeah. Hopefully. Welcome. <laughs> So I'm Pablo Galindo. I've been on the steering council for only this year. So this was the first time I was serving. I'm living in the exotic <laughs> land of London. <laughs> and uh, I work at Bloomberg, which is kind of a financial slash news company in the Python infrastructure team. So we do a very similar thing as Thomas' team do, but slightly different, I would say, because we need to support all these not that exciting old systems that banks like to use and whatnot. Uh, but we yeah. also like do a lot of like, very cool tools like, you know, the baggers and profilers that we uh, plan to open source soonish. And we also make sure that Python experience at the company is the better we can. So we are in the DevX kind of department after the seven reorg or something. So now we are supposed like to take care of that people are happy and whatnot. And yeah, yeah. people use a lot of VS Code apparently as well. So <laughs> I bet they do. Fantastic. I was just recommending the running microwhiskey in production article from the Bloomberg Tech Engineering. Oh, right, right. That's Peter Sperl, I think, is the the Mm -hmm. author. Yeah, Yeah, just last week or something. That's a really, really neat stuff you guys are doing there. Right, right. And yeah, and I think the only, in CPython, I mainly work on the parser and the garbage collector these days. I've been working as well recently on improving error messages all around and uh, kind of user experience, if you may. Although that's a bit ambitious, I think. Yeah, a lot of improvement on the error messages and tracebacks and things like right. that, right? That's yeah. people have been more excited than you would expect to really, hear yeah. when you describe I mean, that. I've heard <laughs> people are like, "This is so exciting! I can't wait to start using this feature." Yeah, well, we finished the the new parser, and it's like, well, well, we can do with this that is not only like more syntax because, like, you know, like people are like, "Oh, now we have like all this syntax, right? Like that's not good." So I say, like, "Okay, let's let's make something good so people don't demonize the parser." So you know, like. They say, oh, well, uh, the, the messages are good, so let's leave the parser alone, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, well, You're also nice the work. release manager, Pablo. <laughs> ah, right, right. Sorry. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Uh, <laughs> it's a small thing. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also the release manager for, for Python 3.10 and 3.11, which is uh, mm-hmm. going to be released this year, late this year. And uh, yeah, apparently it's been a very cool release, uh, three times. So let's hope that. Yeah, I've not noticed any problems and it just rolled out nice. Yeah, and that's a good sign because it's not that yeah. there hasn't been yeah, well any done. problems. <laughs> but only on the release <laughs> side. Once it's released, it's good and well, right? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm also be able to do because I have a good team of uh, release managers, uh, all release managers helping me. Mm-hmm. So thanks. Thanks to all of them. Yeah, fantastic. Well, let's just get started with some definitions. Maybe, Carol, you could also just tell us a little bit of history since you were on the show as well. Like, what is the steering council? And then, you know, where did it come from? Yeah. This is a relatively new thing for Python. It is a relatively new thing. When Guido retired, he left it in the hands of the core developers to come up with a new governance for the language. And so I'm really proud of the core development team for coming up with several different options for how to organize. And then we voted as a group after we discussed it all. And the steering council model was the one that won out. It's five individuals from the Python community, not necessarily core developers, but could be beyond, who are basically entrusted with, by consensus, building the direction and the future for Python, both the language as well as the core development community. 
And um, I think so far it's worked out really well through three terms. You know, I think we've faced a number of different issues and we've done our best to include many different voices and do our best to steward the whole entire ecosystem. Well, I would say you all have done a great job because... I haven't heard anything <laughs> very much. You know, it's in the sense that Python is still being released. Features are still being added to the language. Maintenance is still being done. And and there wasn't a big disruption when Guido left. And there was a lot of uncertainty because, as you said, he said, all right, I need a break. I'm stepping back. I've been doing this for 30 years. That's a long time. But he didn't want to impose a, a structure as the person with no skin in the game. So Yeah, the entire Python ecosystem, yourself and others, for really rallying around and trying to make everything work. And I can't underestimate Eva's and the Python Software Foundation's impact on that as well for their support. So I'm glad you haven't heard anything. I can't say we've seen the same, but... <laughs> well, when you're, uh, you know, in the eye of the hurricane, it's, it feels different. Yeah, totally. Yeah, or the middle of the hurricane, rather. Anyone else want to add anything to that? Just sort of the historical bits before we get into mechanics? I think I want to be fair to Hido. He said, I'm going to give the core developers a chance to self-organize before I decide on a successor or something. So it wasn't really him saying, you guys figured it out. It was, I think core developers need to figure out what they want. And then, and he still is a core developer and he was on the first steering council as well. So there was a very mm -hmm. deliberate transition of influence, I'll say, instead of power. But if the core developers hadn't figured something out, then I'm pretty sure he would have decided for us. And I think yeah. people would have been, probably would have been happy with that at that point. But I am really glad that we got a working and very effective steering council instead. Yeah. I think the thing I'll add is that, you know, over the years, like there was a lot that was sort of underspecified in the steering council spec. <laughs> And every year we sort of figure out like what the right rhythm of business is, you know, how often we're going to meet, yeah. what kinds of agenda we're going to, you know, take on. That's been really great. You know, it's been great to work with everybody here and everybody in the community to kind of figure out how the steering council is going to work. And I think we've gotten to a place where it's very effective. Yeah. And there are other organizations sort of playing in that space. We have the core developers, right? We've got the board of directors, Thomas, you've already mentioned, and then you've got the steering council. So where does the steering council fit in there? What's the responsibility of the steering council? Are you overseeing the core developers? Do you work with them? How does this all fit together? So I think PEP 13 does a reasonable job explaining this. The idea is that Hito wasn't, he was called the benevolent dictator, but he wasn't really dictating all that much. He was basically the final arbiter and you let the core dev community make its decisions. The benevolent delegator? Well, <laughs> he sort did of. push his opinion through when he knew he was right. And I think history yeah. has shown that he was right more often than not. But the, the so the core developers are the people with commit bit rights in the GitHub repo. That's basically it. It's the people who've contributed a lot to Python of various bits and pieces or overall. I think everyone there has, has earned the right to self-organize, so that's what the steering council is. But it is still consensus-based. It's still the, the mandate of the steering council is to figure out what the core developers want. It's not for us to impose our opinion on the core developers unless there is no other way. Yeah, some organization or somebody has to decide, 
if it's 40, 60% plus and against some idea, somebody's got to go, we, we're going to do it or not do it. That used to be Guido, and now it's you all, right? Yes. It's easy when there's a clear answer. It's easy when everyone's clearly in favor or against something. It is the 40, 60 things, the, you know, the difficult decisions where we also have to, to take our time to understand the problem and see how it affects people and, and carefully make that kind of decision. Sure. And I'll just okay. point out the the PSF board of directors is not specifically involved with the core developers. So the PSF is for community work, it's for fundraising, it's for the trademarks, it's the copyright owner, so it's also for legal things. But the PSF doesn't dictate what direction Python should the language should be going. It just talks about the community. So sure. that it's a completely separate concern there. But we did have the executive director, Eva, sit in on our weekly meetings and help us with administration. And we hired the developer in residence. That is to say, the, the steering council hired the PSF employee, that is Lukash, the developer in residence. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of interaction as well, but it's mostly the steering council using the Python Software Foundation, I would say. This portion of Talk Python to Me is sponsored by Research Affiliates. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, then you're passionate about Python and looking for ways to grow your skills. But are you toiling away with Java in your day job only to spend your nights and weekends exploring Python? Or maybe you are working in Python, but your management puts shipping features over testing and code quality. How does a full-time software engineering job where writing excellent Python is an everyday requirement sound to you? That would be your job if you worked at Research Affiliates. Research Affiliates is a California-based leader in investment products. You probably haven't heard of them, but their research and insight powers mutual funds and ETFs that may already be in your 401k. Their technology group is looking for software engineers with a deep understanding of Python. They are a team of expert Python coders who use Python to write production financial systems, internal Python libraries, and business automation routines. What's more, their team provides ample opportunities for shared learning and professional development, frequent team code reviews, and community engagement through open source contributions and conference attendance are core parts of how their developers work. So if you're looking for a full-time engineering job writing professional Python with a team of friendly and congenial engineers, come work for a research affiliates. Apply today at talkpython.fm slash research affiliates, or just click the link in your podcast player show notes. Carol, it looked like you were going to add something. Yeah, I was just going to say in terms of like the 60-40 decisions, there's been very few of those. And part of the reason is there isn't consensus. What we do is work like, for example, uh, pattern matching was one where we asked the PEP to be reworked several times so that we wound up with a better solution in the end than what we would have if we had just voted yay or nay at the start. Right. I think that's an important thing to remember. Yeah, it helps that all of you are on the technical side mm -hmm. of things, yeah. right? If As opposed to overseeing this or, or whatever, right? It really helps that you can get in there and say, no, 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 this is going to have performance implications or this is going to have breaking changes or Absolutely. whatever. And we come at it from different places too. So that's also an interesting thing that's um, been... I think really valuable for us. Yeah. Yeah. Carol, you come at it from the, the science, the data science and scientific side a little bit more. And Brett comes at it from the editor side. No, just kidding, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic.
When are the elections and then how long do you serve for? The elections are right now. They close, I think, on Wednesday, the 15th of December, anywhere on Earth. Okay. So I, or is it Tuesday, anywhere on Earth? It's some sometime around there. I think it's Wednesday. It's something anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And they've been going for the last two weeks. The way it works is when the major Python version is released, so 3.10 in this case, that triggers the elections of the new steering council. Since we have okay. releases every year, that means we have a new steering council every year, and we have a single one-year term, so everyone gets reelected or not at the end there. There's a two-week nomination period, and then we have a two-week sort of discussion period, and then a two-week vote period. And so we're nearly at the end of the two-week vote period. So by Wednesday, Thursday, we should have a new steering council. And as Carol mentioned, Carol's not up for re-election, uh, decided not to go for re-election. Uh, the rest of us is. We have no idea if we're in the running or not. I mean, the slate is just really great. So it could be just five new people entirely, which I would be more than happy with, more than enough to do as it is. Yeah. Do you think it would make sense to have one person stay around as sort of some continuity or it probably is going to happen just statistically right but i guess we've talked about it i mean that's sort of the the nice thing right is like we adjust like things aren't necessarily set in stone so for example when the first steering council was elected right when guido retired we were actually on an 18 month release cycle so there was a lot more time between elections and now that we're on a yearly release cycle we've decided to keep the steering council elections aligned with python releases seems to be working okay and you know if it doesn't then we'll have a discussion about that as a as a community and you know propose changes but so far so good right yeah yeah absolutely we used to have eva as sort of the administrative memory of the steering council even though i think there was an overlap of four people at every single past election so it didn't really matter even though i am you know i have taken over some of eva duties if i am not re-elected on the steering council i won't be attending as the you know psf representative because it just doesn't feel right but it might be that the next executive director does step up and take that position so we might have the PSF executive director as the one person who's been in multiple steering councils and can transfer over things. Yeah, and that would give the PSF a seat at the table as well. It's more about information flowing from the PSF to the steering council than the other direction, because the PSF doesn't really involve itself in the steering council things. But, you know, there is the developer in residence, there's money, there's sponsorships, there's, there's a sponsorship benefit to PSF sponsors that they get to have a little chat with the steering council which each steering council has to to ratify. It's not a, a done deal for the next steering council, but it's just a nice way to have some connection with uh, the people who care a lot about Python, companies that care a lot about Python. Yeah, and we also, absolutely. we do have a, a handover meeting for the next steering council where we'll have both the, the old steering council members and the new steering council members and make sure that, you know, discuss any running issues, anything that the new steering council needs to know. So it's not, even if five new people get elected, it's not that we're just throwing them out, you know, in the wild and let them figure it out on their own. We're still there. We're still part of the community, even if we don't get reelected. Yeah, true. You're all still core developers. They could still reach out to you and, and ask uh, how about something. I want to talk about two people really quick while we're, you sort of touched on both of them, Thomas. One is just to say thanks to Eva that she's done a lot of work and she's, been at it for 10 years or something like that, 10 right? 10 years as the 
secretary or director of operations or executive director of the PSF. She was involved in organizing, or she she was organizing PyCon before then. So she's involved in in PyCon even longer than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for yeah. those who are not watching the live stream, pretty much the whole string cancel just did a little silent applause. So we all miss her dearly. And it's only been a week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Best of luck to whatever she's off to do next. Also, Betsy. Betsy did a lot as well. And, you know, thanks. She's also moved on. Betsy was assistant secretary, I think, of the PSF and also organizing sponsorships and all that. And so she was involved in a lot of community efforts. We were yeah, a lot Especially at PyCon. It seemed like she did a lot yeah. there, yeah. And both of them, so much of what they did was behind the scenes. And I can't think enough their work ethic and how helpful they have been to me and the steering council on so many different levels. So we certainly miss them, but we also wish them the best in their next adventures. Yeah. All right. With the serious thanks, I do want to show something. I think you all will be amused, but I don't know if you, have you all seen this, this Twitter thread here? Yes. <laughs> there was a great mention by Patrick Mason saying, Hey, the PSF, the at, you know, thus basically at PSF on Twitter, is searching for an executive, executive director. Here's the job announcement. Has this been filled yet? This We're still looking for it. Well, I mean, the process isn't, oh, we like someone, we're hiring them. There's a whole search committee and there's resumes to go through and then there's you know interviews to have. We're in the process of interviewing a whole bunch of people via the search company. Okay. Is it still open for applicants or is it kind of, I, I, you have tons and now you're going through them? I think we have really good candidates, but I think more is always welcome. So and sure. right up until okay. we decide, especially in December, I think more resumes. Yeah. Great. If people want to apply, absolutely. Cool. Okay. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. But of course, at PSF is the Pacific Salmon Foundation and they kindly respond at the PSF is looking for an executive director at PSF is not currently good luck on your search. Sorry for the confusion. And then they responded. It happens. We're starting to feel like at the PSF family. It's not like at Java ever calls broken heart. I thought that was, that was a good way to, to respond to it there. Yeah, that was a lot of, but yeah, I think Dustin Ingram, one of the PSF board directors and also a Googler got a follow from the Pacific Salmon Foundation, even though he's, never had a follow from the the PSF. So I thought that was extra funny. <laughs> yeah, that is really funny. <laughs> nice and lighthearted. Now, I also want to ask about the developer in residence and how has Lucas's work helped you all out? I mean, I'm sure Pablo, he was the prior release manager and is also dedicated to helping this be smooth. So maybe had an even bigger effect on you, but what's the, the developer in residence role interaction with you all yeah i think i mean i think this is one of the the things that we are more proud of bootstrapping i took uh, a lot of time because we had excellent candidates all of them and you know it was not an easy decision um but i think so far also like Lucas has made an excellent job so i think one of the things he was doing working on a lot is trying to help with the review kind of queue that's one of the things he's been putting a lot of work uh, is extremely difficult because you know like we had a lot of prs and I think he he has already been on the show before, right? Like, right. yeah, yeah. We actually I interviewed him about specifically yeah, so about that role. I would yeah. probably defer listeners to to that particular episode, but but I think he, that has a lot of impact. But there has been a lot of other places that maybe are a bit less less known when he has been helping a lot. Like for instance, on the releases, 
like doing Python releases is, is quite involved to say it some in some some good way. Is it harder to do a, a major release like a three nine to three ten? The first like three ten zero is that harder than three ten one? Oh yeah, 1? absolutely. Yeah, uh, there is there is there is two two moments <laughs> that are especially bad. One of them is the the first beta release because the the what happens is that on the first beta release kind of is the point when no new features can be added and technically from that point until the the final release. Uh, it's only bug fixes and things like that. Although, like people try to stretch the definition of a bug fix quite a lot, because like there is the always been the strategy of like ah, I can push maybe this this feature like half bake and then call it a bug, and then it's like oh I'm doing a bug fix right because like <laughs> so so you know that's when the role of the release manager you know is is quite important because you need to I mean you need to be human so sometimes it's like you know like people have you know they are contributing on their free time so you know they maybe they tell you I don't really have time for this but like you know blah blah so you know there is there is always time for discussions but but also like some, some that you need to to be careful with that and the other problem that happens is actually you know because it's a deadline everybody pushes everything on the last day it's like it's like incredible amount of activity and <laughs> some of the you know systems that we have to to check everything they they take a, a lot of time to to do their checks because they are quite a slow checks that take like three four five hours and I will have right. run every unit test for the entire C Python suite and things. Yeah, it's kind of we have like a big CI that tests us on like Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. But then we have like uh, this thing called Billbots that basically machines that are donated or that we run that tests us on like flavors of these platforms or so different distributions and different versions of Mac OS, but also like. It runs like heavier checks, like sanitizers, uh, checks for reference leaks. So it's these things like that take, uh, like if you put that thing on the CI, everybody will help you. Like in the sense that it would, it would be ridiculous. Uh, so we have these things and they they only, they not don't run on a single commit, they run on batches. So basically all commits of the day. And then if it fails, you know, you need to do some manual bisection. But uh, th- anyway, what happens is that, you know, because everybody pushes that and then you need to do release at, at the end of the day. You need to kind of wait for these machines to run, and then what happens is that everything is like extremely, extremely broken. So normally, up to this point, it was kind of it was a bit weird because like technically people are you know responsible of the things that they break or they push broken. But at the end of the day, it's kind of like it's the release manager that finds people to fix it. Or I fix it myself a lot of these things, and it's very stressful because you know like people are waiting for your the release, and it's a quite important release to start testing. And you know like the distributors are waiting right. for you because they they have their calendars, and those nights have been extremely stressful um, for sure. Um, I mean, and then three times has been as well. But like the with the help of Google, actually, yeah. we've been coordinating with this. And if not, like for instance, last time we've been like fixing between the two of us. Uh, all these little uh, things. Uh, sometimes you need to revert the thing because you know it's like it's so broken that we don't have the time to like find out what's going on or like too risky to think like you know maybe it's fixed but who knows? So uh, you know sometimes we just revert. That would be a bummer if your PR failed through CI and you got to uh, wait a year. Before it was two years. Before <laughs> it was two they, years, they and you know like people <laughs> don't get happy when <laughs> when you push them back your feature. It was a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, almost right. right. But it's still it's quite a lot of time, like especially if you miss the the deadline because yeah, you know like. Well, don't put things off until the last day. Come on. Yeah, p- p- people don't understand <laughs> the thing though, as well as you would think. <laughs> Thomas, yeah, Thomas, yeah. you can say I, this. I won't, uh, right. And then there's the reality of human behavior. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and, I know. You know, like people get quite angry. <laughs> but it's good uh, But in a good way. I mean, it's not like you know they they 
we are all friends here in the courtyard brand, you know, like it's, it's important to have, I think one of the important parts of being a release manager is that you need to have a good kind of communication skills because it's not only about like the technical part, it's also like communicating. I think like Lucas in this case has been also doing a very good job. He, he communicates quite well and especially in tricky situations. And I think that that is an asset of the, of the position. Like, you know, you need to interact with a lot of different people in the team and like people Sometimes they say, oh, you're paid for this. So here's all my land release. And, you know, like you need to also tell them like, no, I mean, we have these priorities and whatnot. But yeah, so so this has been an area where he has been helping a lot uh, doing releases. He's still doing releases himself, right? Because three nine dot whatever where now still happening. So the release manager is kind right. of a long, it's, <laughs> it's a long serving. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by SignalWire. Let's kick this off with a question. Do you need to add multi-party video calls to your website or app? I'm talking about live video conference rooms that host 500 active participants, run in the browser and work within your existing stack, and even support 1080p without devouring the bandwidth and CPU on your users' devices. SignalWire offers the APIs, the SDKs, and edge networks around the world for building the realest of real-time voice and video communication apps with less than 50 milliseconds of latency. Their core products use WebSockets to deliver 300% lower latency than APIs built on REST, making them ideal for apps where every millisecond of responsiveness makes a difference. Now, you may wonder how they get 500 active participants in a browser-based app. Most current approaches use a limited but more economical approach called SFU, or Selective Forwarding Units, which leaves the work of mixing and decoding all those video and audio streams of every participant to each user's device Browser-based apps built on SFU struggle to support more than 20 interactive participants. So SignalWire mixes all the video and audio feeds on the server and distributes a single unified stream back to every participant. So you can build things like live streaming fitness studios where instructors demonstrate every move from multiple angles, or even live shopping apps that highlight the charisma of the presenter and the charisma of the products they're pitching at the same time. SignalWire comes from the team behind FreeSwitch, the open source telecom infrastructure toolkit used by Amazon, Zoom, and tens of thousands of more to build mass scale telecom products. So sign up for your free account at talkpython.fm slash SignalWire, and be sure to mention TalkPython to me to receive an extra 5,000 video minutes. That's talkpython.fm slash SignalWire, and mention TalkPython to me for all those credits. We need to actually find the, the next big commitment manager for... Right. This is, about, this is about the time that we we try to find you. Know, <laughs> How do you do that, Barry? Like, we have a just a group of former release managers. Kind of, we throw around some names, and then we find somebody to, I guess, <laughs> convince. <laughs> they, they look for exactly. someone to volunteer. <laughs> yeah, volunteer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we, yeah. we have we, a, like we, a long chain with a big ball at the end. This is yeah, no, no one will ever approach uh, Benjamin Peterson's uh, uh, <laughs> right, tour right. duty. Man, that, that was a bad deal. That was yeah. a bad deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was the two Benjamin was manager. The, yeah. Yeah, he did not sign up for ten years of bug fix releases. <laughs> it's also like people I think underestimate the work of releasing an operative system, right? Because like, sorry, but it's a, a, a programming language. Yeah, I cannot imagine like releasing a Linux kernel version, but like it's a multi-hour process. It's quite a lot, and you know, like there is uh, always when people say like, "Oh, can you can you automate this thing with GitHub Actions?" and it's like, oh, "Come on, I mean." Good luck. We have already like a huge amount of automation, but there is a lot of processes that are manual. Like it's, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Or or is some like 
there is so many ways it can fail and you need manual intervention that automating is, I mean, I have something already that for minor release, like so like alpha releases and whatnot, which are a bit like, you know, you don't need to build documentation or not. It's, it's almost automatic, even waiting for humans to do things. But for big ones like betas and final releases, it's not, like it's, it's five hours much. of you sitting down. Yeah, it's, it's, and you know there's a lot of problems that happen on the on the go, so it's it's impossible to to do it. Pablo has also live streamed all this, so if you really want to see all the effort that goes into it, you can, including watching him. If you go back, watch right, the ones right. where he breaks GitHub. So it there's a lot that goes on in those. Rooms. Yeah, that's right. I think I saw you guys all sitting down and and live streaming on YouTube. Yeah, that was the 3.10. It was just Pablo and and Rukas and the other managers, not Mm -hmm. the steering council. Just just to make sure, the rest of the steering council stays away with them from all that. We know we (laughs) know too well. (laughs) You know too well. Fantastic. I did want to bring it a little bit back to Lukas's work and the developer in residence position, because it was funded for one year so far by Google because of some money that was lying around and, you know, they wanted a, a good place to donate it. And Eva sold it to them or Dustin sold it to them. I'm not sure what happened there. I wasn't actually involved myself, but it is something that we need to fundraise for in the future to continue it or maybe expand it. We've already talked amongst ourselves saying we would love to have three developers in residence instead of just the one. We've had some really good candidates when we when we hired Rukash, you know, other candidates. I don't know if they'd be in the running, but there's clearly enough interest. There's clearly enough work as well. And Lucas has been focusing a little bit on selling the position as well, because he was very aware from the start that, you know, for it to continue, we need we need more funding. So he's been trying to make the case with his work, make the case that this is a good thing to have and something that people should invest money in, which is why we have the weekly developer in residence reports that he does, for instance, is to showcase yeah. the work and all that. Yeah, he's very much out in the open about that, right? He, he does his sort of weekly blog and summary of almost the report you would give to a manager, but his managers are the community. And so it just publishes it, right? In a very real sense, that is the case. I mean, it's not a manager who prioritizes the work because that's us, sort of. I mean, he does it on his own mostly, but we're there. But it is the people he is accountable to. And the way he feels it, and I think we all we all feel it that way. Is it's the community work, and he's he's supposed to be doing the things that the that need to be done, but that you can't really demand of volunteers that they do. So I, I think that's working out fairly well. Yeah, and it's also the context switching, right? Like every one of you has something you've got to work on for your day job, and then to come back and work on a PR or a bug or triage something or help somebody get. See Python to compile on their machine so they can contribute. All of those things are are better done if you just stay in the flow of you know going through the issues and going through stuff. And he can do that full time, right? Yeah. Well, he has a full time to spend on all of those things, so he's still context switching a lot. Sure, but the context is more tightly grouped. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I think it gives you it gives the language a continuity and sustainability. You know, people are going to have to onboard and offboard. We've seen that very much within the pandemic. And it kind of gives us a baseline that things are running as it should be. And also he's made a lot of automation improvements as well. So there's an incremental, like, let's make it better each year. Yeah, absolutely. How involved or if at all were you 
was the steering council and getting a move to GitHub. Uh, the, like the repo or the Yeah, the, the repo, not the issues. I know the issues are still coming, right? They're not there yet, are they? Yeah, yeah. we're working on that still. Yeah, but the, the initial get the code over there, get the, the I merging. think the steering council didn't exist. Yeah, I, I was trying to think about the time. It just preceded that, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, Brett actually was yep. very involved into that, if I recall correctly, but I think what that was... Yeah, Brett's been involved in every change to our version control system probably <laughs> since the uh cvs yeah. days i was i was gonna make a joke about cvs come on yeah yeah i was yeah <laughs> i don't think i was not involved with cvs to subversion but everything yeah, subsequently i've somehow been involved with yeah yeah so how are you happy to see it on github now brett since i'm the one that made that happen yes <laughs> well i mean you could regret it <laughs> no, I would think so. No, no, it seems like I, it's gone well. Yeah, it's worked out pretty well, I think. There were some bumps way back. Like, for instance, we I wasn't expecting quite so many core devs who don't contribute to any other open source except Python, and thus they didn't know GitHub and they didn't know Git at all. Yeah, you, you completely changed their workflow, right? Yeah. So it was one of these things. There was it was a learning experience for some people, and we just had to help them along. There's there's a whole doc, I think, might still be there in the dev guard of how to Get for Mercurial users, yeah, and all that. So it's definitely been great, and I'm really appreciative that one of the things we've been able to do this year, the steering council, is we're very close to moving our issue tracker over to GitHub as well. So there'll be a bit more a connection between the PRs and the issues. Yeah, and we won't maintain our own infrastructure anymore, which has always been somewhat of a burden. Poor E has been having to keep bugs up Python.org running this whole time when he's got everything else on his plate. They always has to keep up and running. So yeah, but I mean, Marietta, for instance, deserves a lot of the credit for pushing this because she wrote the original pep and has always been poking people like, hey, can we still do this? Because it's still happening. What's going on? And thanks to the PSF for getting the money together through GitHub's donations to make sure that this happens and coordinate all that money and all that hiring. And so we're able to have Etsy as a core dev work on this. And we've been kind of project, project managing it towards the end on this to get it over the finish line. But Looking good, and the goal now is hopefully January sometime we'll be flipping the switch and moving over. Yeah, well, that's coming up quick. Yep. Yeah. I think that's that's sort of like, you know, an underappreciated, perhaps, contribution to Python, right? It's like, Marianne has done an amazing amount of work, and Brett's done a lot of this as well, is to make those kind of, like, GitHub workflows really natural and, and easy to use. So there's lots of people who contribute to Python in ways that are maybe not quite as obvious as what the steering council does, but are just as important, if not more important, for making the whole experience of developing Python really smooth and easy yeah. to do. So, yeah. yeah. I, I think also kind of nowadays there is more and more people are conscious of this, but I think there is also like a, a special emphasis on like when you contribute this code, right? Like, like and then even like people feel that or they have been like doing documentation contributions or even like CI contributions or whatever, right? And they say like, oh, I didn't contribute to CPython. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, you know, it's important for, for us to highlight this. And, you know, there is a lot of, even core developers, there is a lot of core developers that don't contribute code, right? Like even just, you know, triagging and all those things that those are as important or even more. Like, you know, code is, is not a small part, but it's also by far not the full picture, right? Like even if yeah. you take Guka's work, right? Like he's not coding that much as the developer in Russia. I mean, he doesn't code, right? But like, and that you see the impact that he's having, right? Like literally, we are we are searching for someone who who does that kind of work because he's needed. No, we are not searching for uh, excellent coder, right? Like we we already have a lot of those. So you know, like I think it's important to highlight, and I, I would like to take the time to say here that that when when people 
think our contributing, you know, you don't need to think our code. Right. You don't have to master pointers to pointers, you know, void right. pointers. And, you know, there is a lot of there's right. a lot of ways to contribute, yeah? yeah. And you know, there is a lot of people that go and it's always the same thing, right? I'm I'm spending a lot of time mentoring new core developers, like the last four core developers were people that I help mentoring myself or partially. And you know, it always happens. I mean, I've been also very lucky and like the last core developers that I've been mentoring has been like, extremely smart people and super competent. So it's not been a problem. But from the people that are starting to contribute for the first time, it's always the first question is like, how do I find issues that I can work on, right? Or PRs, which is all the most difficult thing to solve because it's not only like, what do you like? And you know, what are your skills or interests? But you know, it's also like, CPython is a fairly mature code base, so it's not that easy as like, oh, there is this thing, you know, I pick yeah. it up. But the, the key here is that a lot of people don't think about the fact that, you know, you don't need to think out like, because they think bugs, like what is the bug or what is the feature, you know, like that I cannot. But a lot of the time what happens is that the easier parts are actually for, for even for them, right? I mean, maybe there is a programmer that really likes coding and, you know, it's very easy to say, it's like work on this or do you like packaging work on that? But like a lot of people actually, you know, are, very passionate precisely about other things. And they came from a point that core developers don't don't have, like for instance, documentation. We are yeah. quite bad at writing documentation, not because we don't have the skills that we do, it's because we are already, we are thinking like core developers. So we are like, okay, yeah, I think I know how to, I know the system, so I, <laughs> I'm documenting this as I think, you know, and, and for someone who is new to the system. Yeah, it's hard to see with new eyes, yeah. Yeah, or like from the user perspective, like maybe we put a lot of detail that is not that important and, you know, makes it more difficult, or maybe we are missing some things that we think is implementation detail, but turns out that it's not. So, you know, that, that is quite important. And uh, I mean, happy to see that more and more people are like working on these kind of things. And those contributions are super important, right? And maybe, maybe that's where you can have a huge amount of impact, right? Like instead of, Fixing bugs. I mean, fixing yeah. bugs is also important. But I think my first PR in the in, the, in C Python was in the documentation. I'm super proud of it. Like, that's actually Marietta was the person who merged it. That's uh, interesting. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. I think it's important to mention that, and you know, more and more people now are helping with things like CI because, like, you know, they they are super knowledgeable about like GitHub actions, and they say, oh, actually, you know, like this is very inefficient. Maybe you can do this and blah blah blah, or like maybe you do this, you can have in the PRs kind of comments from the compiler warnings. That's something that someone contributed. And that, I mean, that is fantastic. It's like, how many bugs are going to be solved just because, you know, like for us, for even for Gukas and myself, like it helps a lot because we don't need to, when we see the warnings, we don't need to fix it ourselves because like it's there, right? So, so those yeah. changes are actually more long lasting or even documentation. Like Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that's a little orthogonal to the main C Python code that you can go and say, I'm going to just try to make the error message more descriptive. And that's less likely to cause some sort of butterfly effect. Like, well, I changed the speed of the C eval C loop and that has all these knock-on effects, right? We put in more details into the string as part of the error. That's that's way more doable, right? That kind right. of stuff as well. And I would, yeah, and that's, that's the last thing I want to say. And I, a good example as well is, is you think about is the, the last, the, the better errors thing. I mean, there is a lot of like technical stuff there, but like one thing that happened is that now a lot of contributors are actually contributing the errors themselves. Like not, not I mean, there's some part of the grammar and whatnot, but like it's not focused on code or like fixing or other infrastructure. It's because like they like you know, to have better errors and they are very passionate about it. And that is fantastic because you know, it's not, it's, it's also a different area when it can have a, but you were saying that apparently like people are super happy about that. And, you know, I've been contributing in very core parts of C Python and I would never thought that this was something that is going to be 
so so much accepted. Yeah. But if if you are in the training business, like if you were going and doing an in-person event or a workshop and the students are stuck and now they have a message that gives them more info, that that helps a lot of things right, right. You know, go more smoothly. So Brett, I'll, I'll throw this question out to you first here. What are some of the big, during the tenure of this group, so this year basically, what were some of the big or hard things that you had to decide upon? Oh, wow. All right. Hard things to decide about. <laughs> Well, honestly, if we're going to be honest, it, anything conduct related is always hard. Stuff yeah. comes up and as the final deciders, as it were, or the great deciders for yeah. the core team, sometimes conduct stuff comes up. Out in the audience, piling refers to you all as the dream team. So, <laughs> Thanks for that. But yeah, conduct is always the hardest. We don't yeah. like it. No one likes it. It's tough. We, we're very yeah. lucky that the PSF conduct working group backs us all disclaimer i'm on it as well but i also um recuse myself whenever uh core stuff comes up but it's we're really going to have them to help us give guidance because that's what the kind of work groups there for is actually to provide guidance they actually can't enforce anything but we lean on them to kind of act as independent arbiters of everything because for a, a lot of us we've been here i mean we've been on this team long enough that we pretty much know everybody right and yeah. a lot of us are friends that it's hard to be impartial there's a lot of history as well with people so we lean on the conduct work group to help kind of act as the independent body that doesn't have all that baggage as it were with people. Sure. But then it comes back to us and we have to make a final decision of what are we going to do about this? And that's hard every time. It's not fun. It's stressful yeah. as heck. If it's ever reached that point, it's it's not it's not great. Yeah, I would put those in the quadrant of hard and not fun. There are other ones that are in sort of a hard but fun <laughs> kind of quadrant where, you know, some of the some of the technical peps and things like that uh, pattern matching was probably one of the most recent ones where you mm -hmm. really have to think through some difficult technical problems but that's kind of the, the fun part of doing this right like we we enjoy that even though it's hard it's still part fun part of the job so hopefully there'll be more of those and fewer of the fun and not or not fun and hard <laughs> yeah absolutely. yeah probably the closest i can think of off the top of my head was deciding for 310 not to make from dunder future implementations yeah, that, was, the default. That, was that was a really tough one yeah. because it that, there was a lot of stuff happening in the community people certain framework authors are like you're going to break our framework because we depend upon this and whatnot right right yeah i mean it was one of these things where that pep was written accepted i think like two months after Pydantic was even created and went public or something. Yeah, yeah. Pydantic and Fast API were two of the most popular. Yeah, exactly. And then stuff that, has yeah. just changed since that pep got accepted way back when. And I think even that was, I don't think that was even steering council decision. I think that was a Guido decision. No, no, no. It was a Guido a delegated to Ukash decision. Right. So that was a bit stressful because it all happened right before beta, right? And it was a lot of, it was people reached out to people. There's some there was a bit of panic on some in some corners of the community. There was, a, but we we did the best we could to reach out to everyone and say like, no, let's have a discussion. We can figure this out, and we just discussed it with everyone involved on both sides of the type, all sides of the type of community, both dynamic and static, and just chatted with people. I was like, look, we can't rush this, and it's looking like this decision is going to feel rushed based on the feedback we're getting very near beta. So forget it. We're just going to rip the code out. Which thank you, Pablo, for reverting that work because that was a messy back. Uh, yeah. Next time I can dump that on Gukash. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> this was pre dev in residence, right? This yeah. 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 Deal with this. And that, but it was tough. It was, but I think everyone involved was happy with the decision that was made in the end. 
I have no regrets. I don't think anyone else in the string council has regrets. I think everyone involved feels like it was the right decision not to rush that. We still but have do, to make a decision, which is tough. We've asked the community uh, to see if anyone wanted to step forward to actually talk with all areas of the typing world to see like the PEP 649, which Larry Hastings has proposed as a solution to the problem of uh, runtime types and binding and all this lot of stuff. We've asked the community, can someone step forward and kind of act as almost a champion of a shepherd or an expert to come talk to us to explain like, have we hit all of the potential issues with the gender futures import annotations or PEP 649's proposal or something else? And honestly, no one stepped forward. So this is actually one of those things where the steering council yeah. might actually in 2022 have to come forward and right, we'll have to champion this ourselves. We'll have to do the legwork and we'll just have to do it and it'll take time. But that's what we're here for is if we ask the community to do something and no one wants to do it, we're the, the backstop to make sure stuff still happens and works. Yeah, sure. Maybe give people who have been tracking that super closely, just a quick summary of what was that feature and why did it cause a problem? Yeah. So the from under feature import annotations, what it did was, is it made all type annotations strings, which for performance reasons and forward reference problems is really handy, right? Like there's no overhead on import. Everything's just a string. It's in the code object. It's nice and fast. And if you need to reference something in the same module before you've actually gotten to define it, right? Like if you have circular, circular references. Right. A class method that returns its own self. So you would just yeah, put that exactly. in quotes or instead of say class, it's Yeah. Or class A it has an attribute of class B and class B's got reference A and hmm. it takes care of all that because it's just strings. There's, there's nothing to really do there. The t and then the type checkers just handle the circular references and it's not a problem. The problem is, is projects like Pydantic, which various other projects like Press API depend on, that messes them up because they need to actually convert those strings back to the original objects that they represent. Right, because they want the rich type information out of that. They need to see the They want type. the actual yeah. object that that type annotation defines, right? When you do like list bracket int, right, they want that actual object that that represents so they can get at that information. Now, oh, okay, this is typed to a list of ints. Not just, oh, it's a string. I don't know what the heck that is. And there's a function in the standard library that you can call in the inspect in the typing module that will, which is now in the inspect module, but a better version of the inspect module that will give you the actual objects. But the problem is, is you still have this reference problem and a couple other things, and it's not worked perfectly. And that's why the dynamic typing side, the live typing side, as it were, of the typing community got really worried when they realized this was about to become the permanent thing. And why we stop now, there is a pep, pep 649, which tries to use closures instead to kind of capture all the variables and everything, but not execute anything, right? It's very much like a, a function closure you'd use today where you had a function and a function, the inner function refers to something in the outer function. Nothing's actually happened yet, but at least that reference is still there. So it knows where to look for stuff. Problem is, is we don't know if 649 fixes enough things for that to be the solution we want to go with because we don't think we're going to get another chance to tweak this right if we're going to try to come up with a solution yeah. that fixes all the problems that from tender future import annotations fixes we also have to make sure it fixes as many of the other problems that also exist at the same time so that we only do this once because this is potentially yeah. messy and it doesn't have to fix everything but anything that it doesn't fix probably will never get fixed so we have yeah. to be prepared to live with that. And be very aware of what those non-fixed situations are. So everyone knows that's something to be careful. I think the second the second aspect is the key. It's, I think it's probably what is making this so difficult that, that, you know, we already have future import and we don't want like 
three of them or like combination of them or like whatnot. So, so I think it's important. And this is the most difficult thing for us because like, you know, as a team council, we like reviewing Pepsi is, is extremely time consuming and whatnot because you need to not only be aware of like the change itself, but also like what, the, because the documents are written by the authors, right? And then you need to, I mean, it's not like that is ill intention or anything, but there is a lot of things that maybe are left out or like, so you need to make, make sense of the void that is behind these things, right? Or like what is the far reaching effects. And in this case, the problem is that how many other things don't do we know that is not going to work because, you know, like now we, like you see, we, we knew about these use cases days before beta, but like what else about the all the people that are not contacting? Yeah, yeah. The- right, and, and one thing I want to say as well is that because this is important, like we we care about like, you know, the anti and fast API, but we care about everything else, right? It's not, you don't need to be the author of a big framework to have the Steam Council attention, and that's quite important. Yeah, I think it's important to remind, right? Because, you know, it's important because there is a lot of people using this use case and therefore, you know, it has more weight, that's, True, just because you know, if we mess up, it's going to affect more people than some random library. But the random library is also as important as long as is using you know the the interfaces that we provide in its own right, right? And this is important to know because like maybe there is a community of people that use type annotations for I don't know database tables or who knows, right? Yeah, and yeah, then who knows? Yeah. they didn't thought about contacting the Steam Council or the Python Dev or whatever. So, so you know, it's important if you're listening to this and then you're an author of, of libraries that use type annotations or even a user that uses type annotations in non-standard ways, it's very important to reach to us and maybe in the future to this person who is going to lead this effort because we absolutely need to know what these steps are not going to fix. So we say as a Steam Council, okay, we take the or the next thing, right? We take the informed decision to accept this PEP, even if these use cases are going to be sacrificed because as Thomas says, we cannot fix everything, right? But, yeah. but we must know where we're lifting it out because like what we cannot have is now, you know, this situation again, because just we miss. Blah, yeah, blah, blah. You only get so many readers, Carol? Right. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different communication levels on this whole thing. I mean, as you know, Michael, from doing all your courses, a 30-year-old language that has many different use cases, it's hard to sort of one size fits all. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I reached out to Sebastian and Samuel because we had been using Fast API with great success and our engineers really loved it. And I think it is something that, you know, is re-energizing the whole web-based side of Python. So you don't want to sort of cut that <laughs> off at its knees. <laughs> exactly. It's one of the things taking advantage of so many of the cool new features, the the typing, the async and all those things and, and whatnot. Right. Yeah. But by the same token, you know, it also as a library writer, you know, with Jupyter Hub and Binder, it's really hard to keep up with everything. And we tried to always test ahead, but not everybody will and can do that. And then also what you do is you understand your library well, but you don't necessarily understand the Python internals at the same level or the same depth. And so I think Lukash's proactive, you know, reports out as well as Pablo's amazing release notes in the last couple of years helps to communicate out what's going on. And this was an unfortunate, you know, last minute revert and, the whole community working together is really what's needed to be successful over time. And yeah. I'm glad we, although it was tough in the moment, I'm glad we sort of 
weathered through that because we've seen growth all around as a result of it. Yeah, absolutely. Really quickly, because we're getting short on time, Alvaro out in the audience asked, was enum.sturenum delay related to breaking Pydantic? We can give a really, really quick answer. No, had nothing to do whatsoever <laughs> with Pydantic. All right, cool. Ethan's been working on a bunch of changes to the enum module and making the wrapper and stir of enums make more sense. Oh, that's great. And there were some changes that we weren't sure if they were going to impact users in a negative way. So we just wanted to make sure that we understood the decision and why it was made. So we asked him to revert it for 3.10 and then write a PEP to propose the changes just because of the, the scale and the impact of the changes. Right. Propose a PEP for 3.11 and we ended up rejecting that PEP. So that was just purely based on the change that was made and the rationale for the change. And it, not any, we don't know of any actual breakage that would have happened, but it's just not something that we were. Yeah, if someone's trying to parse the wrapper and it doesn't work anymore or something, yeah. Well, but, logging, logging it and that kind of thing. It's You never know where yeah. those things end up, so. Yeah. Brett, it looked like you were going to add one more thing. And then oh. I think we're getting short on time. Maybe I'll ask you one more question then. It was just an aside, but uh, just to show how much of a fan I am. Last week on Python Bytes, you and Brian were asking with whether 3.10.1 was a security concern or not. And I was just going to say, call out Pablo's great release notes. If they don't scream uh, security, it's not a security problem. All right, super. Because if I go and check like the Apple release notes for some OS updates, like, oh, it contains this little thing and other possible security, like, you know... You never, sometimes you don't know, right? If it's just... No, no, no. We, we are very thorough with those Good. notes. And and when we release, actually, there is the, it's possible that we release extra versions when there is something very important. Like 3.9 has actually a bunch of those. Uh, I For for, for the time being, I have not been forced to do any of this, but like sometimes, you know, there is yeah. CVs and whatnot, and we are very into that. So, so yeah, yeah, unless we yeah. say it's kind of okay. Well, I just want to... Thank everyone in the entire Python community for not writing a sub language inside of logging for Python. <laughs> it's funny because the logging module was definitely inspired by the Java logging module, but yeah, you can tell by uh, the names. <laughs> and I didn't didn't decide to include you know that particular load of class path thing, if, re remote pickles or whatever the equivalent would be. Right, right. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Let's close out our conversation here, which has been great with maybe the challenges or the opportunities, whichever side of the glass fullness you want to take for the Python community that you all see. Like, what do you see as like a big opportunity or maybe as a big thing we need to be aware of and try to work to avoid? Barry, we'll go with you first, I guess, since you're top of the video. Oh, I'm going to steal probably the thunder, I guess. Uh, I think <laughs> the, the two really interesting things that are happening in Python land these days are the faster C Python work that yeah, Guido and yeah. his team is working on over at Microsoft. And I think the other interest, really interesting thing is Sam Grace's uh, no-gill work. From a technical standpoint, I think, you know, we can, we have a lot of smart people in the community. We can work through the technical parts of it. I think the really interesting thing will be the sort of the social aspects and how we make all that work and get right. people comfortable with those changes. So. It's easy to make everything faster, better, stronger, but if there's compromises, all of a sudden it becomes yeah. a challenge. Yeah, Thomas, you want to go next? Well, I'm just going to say finding a new executive director for the Python Software Foundation is is right up there for me yeah. because that, that may have significant impact on the long-term goals of the PSF and the direction of the community and all that. And even though the PSF is very much driven by the community, it's still, you know, it's still a big deal. 
However, I do realize most of the community probably doesn't care and it's all happening behind the scenes. So I'm just going to say the Sam Gross thing is the thing that I think is the, the great opportunity that it's going to sure. take years to land an interpreter that doesn't have a gill and it's going to break a bunch of things. And we just need to be very deliberate and, and shepherd that correctly and make sure that there's a migration path for users and as little to impact as we can manage. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. Carol? Yeah, I mean, I see a really, really bright future for Python for a couple of reasons. One, our community has always embraced education and continual learning. And I think that is part of having a vibrant language after 30 years. The kids coming out of school are excited they still get to use this, not, oh no, do I have to learn this uh, now, e right? Exactly. Yeah. And then from a standpoint of being a gl truly global language where you're seeing innovation in Africa, Asia, South America, you know, all over the world. And I think that's exciting. You know, I'm excited to see what comes next. And I have full confidence the next steering council will help guide us in the right direction. Yeah, fantastic. Brett? Yeah, this is a tough one. I feel like I've been around too long. <laughs> I'm just curious to see how the community continues to be the community that it is in the face of whatever this pandemic throws at us in 2022, which is hopefully nothing, but we all know that that may not yeah, be. We've gone a while PyCon-less. Yeah. Well, and even if this year's a little tricky for like as someone from Canada, right? Like traveling down to the States is not quite as simple. So even if can't, PyCon US is more US folk because it's easier for them to travel and some of us international folk can't make it this year, it's at least good that we're at least seemingly going that direction. But I mean, kudos to the community for keeping things going and continuing to make this community feel welcoming and open, even if it's been fully virtual for everything. So yeah, absolutely. My hope is we'll just be able to continue to find ways for the community to do that for itself and continue to feel welcoming and open and inviting regardless of the situation and yeah, whatever that brings. Yeah. We'll pull through it. We will. Pablo? I, I think, I mean, I share a lot of the things that have been said, but I think my, I think with the biggest challenges that we are going to face as a community, as a language, is that we are, like, we have so many big groups of users that are using the language that have, you know, are very passionate. I have different priorities that now, it was not true before, but now it's especially not true. It's not possible to make everyone happy and the decisions that make some people happy are directly hurting others. And we have seen yeah. this. I express a lot, like, you know, educators don't like big new things because, you know, it makes it more difficult and language is bigger and whatnot. While, you know, uh, enterprise Python, let's quote that a lot, but like, you know, they, they are pushing for features that make more sense in other scale, although not exclusive. So I think it's, it's quite hard because it, now it's not a, a matter anymore of like deciding where the actual good decision is and like, you know, digging for it and picking it and, you know, ha, this was the good decision. Not anymore, right? But now you need to take decisions that are going to affect a group positively and another group negatively. And that is a quite important position to be into, right? It's hard to know because the community is so diverse in terms of technical and application of the code and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And in action is some possi possibility in some cases, and maybe we need to be more, you know, more, more conservative, but in some others it's impossible because, you know, the language needs to evolve. Like the guild work that was mentioned, we cannot say, I mean, we could say, yeah, we are not going to do it because, you know, it's going to break a lot and, you know, everyone is going to be reimplemented the C extensions and whatever. I mean, language needs to evolve, right? Like even grammar and, you know, implementations yeah. and, you know, community-wise. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard and it's impossible to make everyone happy. Like, it's not difficult, it's impossible. And I think that's the biggest... As a community, I will hope that, you know, more than we make everyone happy, we understand 
each other and you know we don't we, we come to a place when when there is some good vibes about this 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 problems. I think that's going to be the biggest challenge given right. how big our use base is. Yeah, that is that is important. All right, everyone, we are definitely out of time. Thank you for taking all that's really quickly finish it up with just one of the final questions and we'll just super quick. What editor do you use, Barry? Emacs, still. <laughs> Thomas? Joe, which Joe. no one will have heard of. I've not heard of. My brother's it's, name is Joe, but I'm sure he doesn't help you. With I editing. know Joe. Joe's, <laughs> Joe is Joe's own editor and it's from like the 80s and I, it has WordStar key bindings if you know what WordStar is, which is why I use it. Right on. <laughs> Carol? Uh, I have to say, truthfully, Vim, VS Code, PyCharm. Right. The, the gamut. Brett, I could predict yours, but go ahead and let us know. Uh, Visual Studio. Right on. Pablo? Vim. Vim. Okay. Well, I will join Piling in saying thank you for all the work, and it's great to you all keeping Python going strong. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Michael. Right. Thanks to you. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. This has been another episode of Talk Python to Me. Thank you to our sponsors. Be sure to check out what they're offering. It really helps support the show. Get a job writing modern Python with a team that values software development. Apply to research affiliates today. Visit talkpython.fm slash research affiliates. Add high-performance multi-party video calls to any app or website with SignalWire. Visit talkpython.fm slash SignalWire and mention that you came from TalkPython to me to get started and grab those free credits. Want to level up your Python? We have one of the largest catalogs of Python video courses over at TalkPython. Our content ranges from true beginners to deeply advanced topics like memory and async. And best of all, there's not a subscription in sight. Check it out for yourself at training.talkpython.fm. Be sure to subscribe to the show, open your favorite podcast app, and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. We're live streaming most of our recordings these days. If you want to be part of the show and have your comments featured on the air, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at talkpython.fm slash YouTube. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code.